This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Welcome to episode 80 of Total Saints Podcast. We're back after a busy week in the life of Southampton Football Club with the closing of the transfer window and the first Premier League game of the season versus Burnley, which ended in familiar opening day style for Saints with a loss. Lucy is away on holiday for a couple of weeks. I promise we've not scared her off after one episode and we're actually recording this, just the three of us, on Sunday morning because we literally couldn't wait to get Burnley out of our system. You had your breakfast yet, Steve? No, I've literally got out of bed about 10 minutes ago, yeah. so uh, now I'll uh, get that sorted when I probably go and do my big food shop. Oh, right, excellent. Which which is your superstore of choice? Uh, Sainsbury's. It's literally across the road. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Good, good. All right, so excellent. And uh, I assume you're probably more of a waitress man, Adam, so I'm imagining what, lightly poached eggs, some salmon, a selection of pastries all being delivered by the butler along with a cafetiere, that sort of thing? Of course. You know me, mate. A dining style, especially after a trip to Burnley in the Vauxhall Corsa. <laughs> Yeah, so new season, same old uh, Adam Leach, but there we go, so good. We'll reflect on that trip to Turf Moor, discuss the hectic last few hours of Thursday's deadline day, which included, of course, the arrival of Kevin Danso, as well as preview next week's fixture versus our old friends. Well, I say old friends, I literally don't mean that at all, Liverpool. We'll also have a special clip from a loyal TSP listener, Jackie Martin, who was on Radio Salient this week, saying some lovely things about us. Before we start, as ever, we're really grateful to be able to give a new TSP patron shout-out, this time to Rob Needham, who has signed up to support the pod this season. Rob, thanks so much for joining the global TSP patron clan. Rob actually works for and writes at GQ magazine and, uh, of course, is one of our own, so check out his work. Um, it's been quite a busy week for Saints and a few things that I just sort of wanted to mention in terms of TSP as well. Um, Wednesday was our second anniversary, Adam. I saw it was our 
birthday, I started listening to a bit of episode one while I was working at home, and uh, we sounded very uh, young and amateurish almost compared to this slick professional production we've got now. Well, if anybody had heard you attempt to do the uh, intro and all the outtakes that you've just recorded, <laughs> I'm not sure they I have no that. idea what you're talking about. By the time I've edited it, it will be seamless. It's now lunchtime. Isn't it? <laughs> oh dear. Steve went and did it shopping whilst you were doing it. Yeah. Honestly, you, one of you guys is welcome to do it, but there we go. So happy birthday to us. Anyway, um, we also passed 2,000 Twitter followers this week. Thanks very much for doing that. I think uh, Lucy certainly has helped with managing to get us a few sort of uh, extra followers as well. So very grateful to that of course friday was uh, ralph hasenhutl's birthday so a belated happy birthday to ralph i'm sure he's not feeling particularly uh, celebratory this morning um and a couple of sort of more uh, somber announcements uh, obviously um, yesterday the 10th of august was uh, the anniversary of marcus lieber passing so just uh, you know on behalf of tsp wanting to mark our uh, memories of that and just finally i think we've all been very saddened to hear about the uh, passing of justin gladys justin was obviously a massive saints fan and uh, the announcer for so many years at st mary's so on behalf of tsp as well just sending all of our our best wishes to Justin's friends and family and uh, obviously uh, rest in peace Justin let's get on with the pod this is Total Saints podcast episode 80 sponsored by Happy Hot Tubs me? I could never own a hot tub stop it that's the kind of negative thinking that's preventing you from sitting in a hot tub right now talk to Happy Hot Tubs today where owning a hot tub is as easy as one, two, three. One, choose your hot tub. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose the way you pay with 0% finance available on selected models. I could own a hot tub. That's the spirit. You deserve happy with Happy Hot Tubs. Happyhottubs.co.uk Saints started their 2019-20 Premier League season with a pretty shocking 3-0 loss at Burnley, falling apart in the last 30 minutes. Adam, after all the pre-season work, and that Saints, not you... Burnley away, pouring rain, 3-0 loss, season 18, Bosch. Yeah, welcome back, wasn't it? A real return to reality. Um, people have been saying to me, oh, poor you having to go to Burnley on the opening day. And I had attempted with all my might to summon up positivity about a trip to Burnley. And the main thing I was saying is over and over again, well, it's good to get it out of the way when the weather's good in August. It's better than going <laughs> in a cold, wet, windy day in uh, in the dead of winter and that is exactly what happened it was a cold <laughs> wet and windy day but in August yeah. um, I can only imagine that Sean Dyche having probably suffered immensely through the heat wave of the summer woke up on Saturday morning and, and just looked out of the curtains and was like oh yes lads is that, that's, he does sound like that doesn't he sounds like he always that, that was, that was a good that was a good gravelly voice though. yeah it was well, he, it always sounds like he needs to clear his throat a bit like Andre Villas-Boas yeah so I yes I imagine that Sean Dyche was was pretty pleased with those conditions. They were perfect Burnley conditions. And I think uh, just a little bit of... um, It was unexpectedly bad, the result, I will say that. But it was also that little bit of a reality check, I Mm. think, um, in terms of... for. I mean, we've talked about it. I think we were all very realistic on the the podcast, the pre-season podcast, episode 79, uh, when we talked about the fact that this season is probably we might believe in Ralph and think he's going to be a really good manager, but ultimately he's still learning his trade in the Premier League and he's still got a very similar squad of players. So to expect Saints to suddenly have this stellar season, to expect a like a Cumin like sixth type mm. season is unrealistic. And I think that this game proved why that yep. that theory is correct and also therefore should check some expectations if people did have unrealistic expectations there's an awful lot 
of work still to do. Um, you know, I, we talk in more detail about it, but I, I thought there were some performances that were not up to standard yep. in that. I also felt that uh, Ralph made a couple of mistakes as well for me as well. So mm-hmm. I think it was uh, probably one to forget and, and move on quickly. The only trouble you've got is the upcoming fixture at Liverpool at home is not the one you want to try and bounce back from a defeat. And and the Premier League is such that you uh, it's amazing. You only need one or two good results and and so many games look winnable yeah and you only need one or two bad results and suddenly you look at the run that you've got coming up and you're like oh my goodness me this Mm. could be dreadful now and saints have now got that slight sinking feeling i think going into the liverpool game which is not what you want after one match i don't don't, you know really burnley was always going to be tough yeah you might have got a narrow loss brilliant if you'd have got a draw anything better would have been incredible so it was never going to be likely to be rolling into Liverpool on the back of some handsome uh, victory. But I think something that was quite so demoralising, and that was definitely the mood afterwards. Ralph looked really drawn. He was very, very downbeat. Uh, I think Adam Blackmore even said it was you know, on Twitter. It was about as distraught he'd ever seen him yeah. after a game. That was the mood amongst the players as well. And you think that is not what you want after one week. Um, so uh, a kind of a, a crash to reality, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think everyone that listens to the podcast knows that we try to be constructive. We're not going to lose our you-know-what after one game, but I think it is uh, slightly worrying. But let's be honest, Steve, we've all followed Saints for tens of years now. They always get off to a slow start, so there's no real concerns, is there? Well, certainly not going to be sort of throwing toys out the pram after week one, but you kind of thought, people kind of expected that you go through a full pre-season where Ralph has kind of been able to do more or less what he wanted to do and yet we turn up for the first game of the season and it's as if we're kind of this time last year Mm. um, disorganised at the back giving away dreadful, dreadful goals. Schoolboy. Oh yeah it was just just horrendous and you just kind of think oh god really not again. Yeah I mean the thing is Steve, joking aside as in no concerns about Saints start but I know it's a new season, it is one game, but actually if you look at the end of last season, that's no Premier League wins in seven now. Um, yep. Form is an important thing, and uh, of course it is a new season, it's going to take time to get to grips with some of the new ideas, you know, sort of solutions that Ralph has been looking at over the summer, but, you know, as we've all spoken about, a bit of a lag from the end of last season now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, dropping points against a Huddersfield side that was almost on a par with that horrendous Derby team of mm. um, 2008. And yeah, I mean, all kinds of other nonsense results at the back end of last season as well, after we'd basically secured safety. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's been a chastening uh, reminder of actually how far we've still got to go. Yeah. Um, the fact that we're still playing the same people who are making those same mistakes. We've still not been able to get the system that the manager really wants to play because the players don't seem capable of playing that system Mm. um, for whatever reason. Presumably there's just not enough trust in either the central defenders or the central midfielders to play this 4-2-2-2 that Ralph wants to play. And so as a result, basically every game is a compromise. Mm. And you can't expect to um, kind of turn things around and all of a sudden start winning, winning games on a regular basis. 
if you're constantly having to compromise on what you want to do. Yeah. Adam, look, we'll talk a bit more about Ralph briefly in a minute, but of course we lost Pierre Milhoiberg to illness, as you uh, outlined before the game. So a big loss, you know, you're losing the captain and that energy in midfield, but goals were schoolboy defending. You know, it wasn't just Vestergaard. There was sort of collective cock-ups really across that back line and, you know, Angus Gunn didn't cover himself in glory again. But in terms of the, the way that Ralph set the team up, again, you know, we obviously went with the three centre-backs, that, that sort of midfield battle with Burnley. You know what you're going to get from Burnley and I was, I was sort of recording a bit for a, another podcast and just sort of saying, you know what you're going to get. They're going to kick it in behind you. They're going to get in your face. They're going to chase you. You've got to be up for the battle. And Saints, you know, typical capitulation there in 15 minutes. We've seen them so many times before. So it seemed like a collective, you know, the manager, the team, the formation, the tactics, just a really bad day at the office. I think so. Um, but the, the problem is, and I think the reason that Ralph was so distraught is that you do get those. We all know you get those, and, that, and that's fine. Even the Liverpools and Man Cities will have bad days. They'll probably normally still find a way to win because they've got their extra quality, but even they will have days when they don't perform, and everybody does, in, in, no matter what job you do. Yeah. Um, and, and that just happens. But the reason this feels so magnified is that Ralph himself said, when I was talking to him after the game, we've spent six weeks preparing for this match. Six weeks of work just flushed away in a you know in the blink of an eye basically and yes what was worrying was how quickly it unraveled now don't get me wrong for the first hour saints weren't great it was windy and it was wet and it was you know a fairly dogged game and it looked to be drifting towards a nil nil draw which we have taken i'd have thought which is what you you predicted adam of course definitely what i'd have taken (laughs) i thought i was i was yeah, I thought I was definitely nailing the first prediction of the season. I was quite confident. And then one horrendous error. Okay, you have one horrendous individual error. You can see the goal. Right, yeah. fine. What happens then, though, is still in your control. A 1-0 you haven't lost. Mm. To completely, collectively lose your minds and, and collapse like that, um, and you, you have. And obviously it's difficult when you lose a player very, very late. Pierre was ill on the coach on the way into the ground. Right. Um, he was actually sick, I believe, actually on the coach. So um, that obviously is, is disrupting and means you have to have a, a late change. But again, I don't think that that is the kind of thing that means that therefore you automatically are going to lose a game like this. You should have enough strength in depth. And yeah. as players, you should be able to get that out of your mind enough and likewise I don't know obviously what Ralph would have gone with exactly in terms of his team but I was surprised at the team he picked I was surprised um, not to see Yoshida in the three centre halves and up front I was just very well I think baffled by playing Adams through the middle of the of the three up front in a a five five two three and then playing Ings deep on the right I mean Frankly, I see what the attraction of playing Adams through the middle is, and I definitely saw it you know, against Burnley in their sort of rugged centre-halves, playing the pace and the power, get it, fine. But then you don't play Ings. Ings mm. plays through the middle, for me, Ings plays through the middle, or Ings doesn't play. Yeah. I, I know that when he plays through the middle, he drops deep. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast, about how deep he drops, and maybe Ralph didn't want that. But just putting him in a starting position in that deep position you almost lose that position because he's got, he can't pick up the ball and run with it like Redmond can, mm. like Adams can in that position, like maybe Obafemi could, Gineppo could. So you just kind of lose it. And, I don't, and all, all pre-season, what I, I've seen, um, I, 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 you know, I missed one or two games, but I've seen most of them. Adams has played that wider right 
deep role running with the ball and Ings has played through the middle so why for the first game was that changed mm. around I don't I just there was a couple of decisions there that would just seem to me a slightly slightly strange way to start the season and, and whether they were forced upon by Pierre or not I don't know they were slightly odd for my money just very briefly then just before I ask Steve about my issue because that was something I was keen to to talk about um Look, Vestergaard obviously had a howler for the goals, we know that. Jack Stevens, as ever, has got a lot of social media um, frustration from fans. Just in your view, Adam, sat there watching the game, did you feel that Jack Stevens put a foot wrong generally during the game? I don't think he did a lot wrong, to be honest. No, I don't think anybody much covered themselves in huge amounts of glory. But for me, not too much, actually. Mm. You know, you could you can turn around and say, well, would things have been better in terms of you know, might you've had some better organisation had you had the greater experience of Yoshida there mm. as opposed to Stevens. Well, I mean, that's possible, but you can't really blame Stevens for that and say that that is his failing as such. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think he did too much wrong. The, the main culprit for the couple of the bad individual errors was obviously Vestergaard, but collectively, defence wasn't great. The shielding from the midfield wasn't great. And I think what, what was concerning was... Um, and Ralph talked about it afterwards and he said, oh, you know, it's difficult to come to Burnley because we're really effective at playing a high pressing game. So in the Premier League, obviously, a lot of teams try to play out from the back. You're going to see even more of that now this year when you can, you know, you can take your goal kicks and, and not have to clear the area with them. Yep. Teams are really going to build. They want to try and force you into pressing and then quickly counter um, when you've got people up the field. Saints are very much set up to press. And basically what was said was that's what most teams will do. So we'll be really good against them. But if there's a team that doesn't bother doing that, that just whacks it long, mm. then basically we can't play against them. Yeah. And you think, well, if I was an opposition manager, yeah, exactly. I would say if I was in the top six, I wouldn't care because I've got the extra quality. So I'll go, well, you press all you like. Mate, everyone else we'll is just going to lump it behind us. And everybody basically. else yeah. just look at that and go, right, well, yeah. just lump it then. Yeah. In that case, um, you know, your Sheffield United's of the world, you're, your Brightons, your Bournemouths, those teams you've got coming up, like mm. the teams sort of likely to be... Uh, a bit more agricultural. Yeah. Well, if I was them, I'd be going, right, well, for this game, I know what we do. And that's a slightly worrying thing if you can't come to terms with playing against that style. Um, early days, but it is something that's a bit of a concern. Yeah. Steve, just about my Yoshida then. So I think all of us have been quite nervous throughout the summer about this centre-back position and uh, getting some bit more experience in there. Of course, they've signed Kevin Danso, but let's be realistic. Kevin Danso is 20 years old, and while he's played 20-odd games in the Bundesliga, he's certainly not an experienced veteran-type defender. Without tearing Ralph apart, etc., how does my Yoshida not get into three centre-backs when I admit he's not the most communicative, but he is experienced, he's got a lot of Premier League experience, he's an international captain, etc. How does he not get in that back three? Um, pass. Yeah, gen- genuinely no idea. I mean, obviously we're not privy to what goes on in training, so perhaps it's just a training form thing mm. that perhaps Stevens has been vaguely impressive in training and, and Meyer hasn't. Um, yeah. Could be as simple as that. But even you know whether it's Jack Stevens, whether it's Vestergaard, you know, as Adam said at the end of last season, Bednarak since January has gone off the rails a little bit, hasn't he? So he could potentially fill any of those three roles. I know Jack Stevens is the one that everyone seems to go on about dropping, but for me it could be any of those three positions. And at least then you get. I mean, there's no communication for any of those goals yesterday. The second's a prime example where Peters whips the ball in. Vestergaard's got no idea that Ashley Barnes is behind him. Bertrand's not shouting at him. Gunn's not shouting at him. There's no communication back there. Yeah, and um, when we haven't got the ball, it's it's a five-man defence. So you've got five people who should be, well, six, including the goalkeeper, yeah. who should 
have some sort of grasp on what's going on. I mean, the theory is the more defenders you put in there, um, the more opportunities you have to clear it, and therefore you're covering more space. But somehow we seem to have made it look like we'd left everybody up front from a from a corner or something. It was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Just just finally then, before I ask Adam briefly about VAR and his first sort of initial thoughts around that, which probably could take an hour or so. Um, in in terms of Ralph, then he did look very despondent at, at the end. Um, you know, yes, it's 37 games to go, but you know, we want him to try and be positive and charismatic as he has been. Of course, as Adam announced the the week before, Saints Danny Roll has left the club. I think there was a lot of talk about Ralph looking quite isolated on the bench uh, and on the uh, the touchline yesterday. How much of an impact do you think this is going to have on him? Because he is a positive guy, but you know, he's clearly going to be down today. Yeah, I mean, he'll be he'll be down, he'll be pissed off, I'd have thought, and and rightly so. But let's face it, everybody has setbacks in life, in their career, and and whatever. So I'm you've no got to walk in Monday with your head up and try and get. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, this is it. I mean, you've got to you've got to put it to one side, and I mean, they'll, I would I would assume that actually the thing they'll take from it is that well, it was 15 minutes of madness, mm. and the hour or so that preceded that was given the conditions and the way the opposition play, which meant that. I mean, as as we mentioned just now, our system was kind of negated to a, to a certain extent. We were the ones making most of the running mm. um, for for the vast majority of that game. So therefore, quite a lot of what we did yesterday is what we planned yep. and went kind of to plan without obviously getting the goals that that perhaps some of the chances uh, may have deserved. And so it will be the last half an hour of that game that. He will probably be focusing on and saying, well, OK, how are we going to stop these spells where mm. we just lose the plot completely? I mean, that's got to be a mental thing. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a technical ability thing. It's a it's a switching off and it's a concentration issue, whether they get a psychologist in or or something like that. I don't know, but I don't think that's a technical thing that's necessarily going to be solved on the training ground. Just mentality, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, and just to finish off on the uh, the Burnley game then, Adam, um, I'm sure it's going to come up a lot through the season, but yesterday saw the introduction of VAR across the Premier League. You know, there was lots of talking points. I think generally most of them seem to be right. I was watching a lot of the West Ham-Man City game and uh, things like the encroachment on the penalty, absolutely good to see that sort of thing stopping and uh, the penalty being retaken. Steve and I are absolutely delighted this morning because neither of us decided to make the trek to Burnley. You were obviously there, so in terms of being in Turf more the process, what it was like from a sort of, in inverted commas, fan experience, watching it on the screen and that sort of thing, what was your initial thoughts? I thought from where I was that it worked pretty well, actually. Um, it was pretty unintrusive. Um, the decisions were made quickly. Yep. And they were definitely communicated. Now, it was a bit different because I, uh, where we sit at Burnley is right at the back of, of one of the stands. And as part of the uh, regulations of the, on what you what clubs have to provide for press yeah. we have replay screens in the press boxes so um we've got like a little monitor there and so i could see clearly what was going on um the big screen though uh that they have at turf moor is well you it's impossible to view from the stand that i was sat in mm -hmm. so that was a bit weird because actually i went uh you can't really get down to the press room there it's quite it's obviously anybody's been to turf moor knows it's sort of an old design ground which means you've got these weird sort of old concourses and stuff so i just but i need to go to the toilet so i went down and was still queuing for the gents at half time and there was obviously a lot of people that were talking about it now they had been in the side of the ground the same side as me um that hadn't been able to see the big screen mm. but they also hadn't had the benefit like i did of having the replay monitors 
And so that was a bit weird because they were absolutely baffled. So yeah. I was trying to explain to them what was going on and what had actually happened because I heard the conversations. And in the end, I thought oh, I'm going to have to say something here <laughs> um, because I, I think that it needs to be explained to them. So I told them what had happened and why the offside goal that Burnley scored was rightly chalked out yeah. um, by VAR. So I think that that is an issue and that communication thing. Now, I know, obviously, because Liverpool or Man United are the two grounds that don't have a big screen. That's convenient. Um, it, the only two in the Premier League. Um, I know they're talking about announcing things over the PA system or whatever, but obviously then you can't see any of the replays there. Uh, I think that there needs to be more consistency with that. And I think that they need to, Premier League definitely need to make sure that everybody in the ground understands what is going on because... Um, that one stand at Burnley, which accounts for probably about 30 odd percent of all the supporters in the ground, yep. had absolutely no idea what was going on. Mm. And probably for everybody else who did, like me and like the other three sides of the ground that could see the big screen, it worked really well because the decisions were quick. There weren't lots of big stops in play um, and the right decisions were reached. So there was there was no problem. But I just think that that's a teething problem. But it's the sort of thing that needs to be thought about more carefully as to how it's communicated so that everybody in the ground has access to the same information as to what is actually happening because you basically had one side of Burnley booing the referees and giving them absolute <laughs> dogs abuse at half time and the other three sides just sort of applauding him off <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was very strange so yeah. I mean that's just one of those things that all these grounds are unique yep. in different ways and there's not many or lots of them aren't like St Mary's where everybody's got that view of, of the two big screens. So that's definitely something that needs to be thought about because it yeah. wasn't communicated to everybody. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And as you say, the good thing at St Mary's is everyone can see the screens. And I imagine the funny thing is going to be when, uh, you know, Old Trafford and Anfield, the goal's not given by VAR, but in true sort of uh, home uh, style, the uh, the PA announcer will probably say, the goal's been given and Anfield will go wild and all that sort of <laughs> thing. But uh, there we go. So good stuff. Deadline days at Southampton are normally a trivial affair, but it was slightly more hectic this time around. Charlie Austin and Harrison Reed left St Mary's for pastures new, the former permanently. Kevin Danso joined from FC Augsburg eventually, albeit the day after. And maybe the biggest and best news was Saints confirming a new long-term contract for the 2018-19 player of the season, Nathan Redmond. Steve, let's start with that tremendous Redmond news. Great reward for a player that has uh, put so much personal effort and commitment into turning things around on the pitch after a, a sort of tough period of 18 months or so, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, absolutely delighted with that news. And um, I mean, he was head and shoulders above everybody else, I thought, last season in terms of his importance to the team and just his, his out-and-out performances, really. Um, so, yeah, to get him tied down to a new deal is yeah excellent news and hopefully a couple of other players whose contracts are kind of I think a year or 18 months or so um, remaining that we probably need to need to look at doing similar for but we've again we've got to make sure that we're picking players that are actually going to have a future at this club because mm. you don't want to end up in the situation as we have done with a number of players where we've given them huge long-term deals and then within six months they're out of the first team yeah um, but yeah, I mean, obviously great news about Redmond. Again, he's, he's going to be an important player for us 
this season and hopefully for the next what four years now yeah and Adam I, I know you're a big fan of Nathan I know you know exactly how much he's been through having spoken to him and things like that before you were speaking about Ralph early and the challenge he's got this season but someone like Nathan Redmond is going to be absolutely crucial to his plans of making this season a success absolutely I think yeah Redmond is front and center of Ralph's plans still mm. um, that's for sure I think that he's uh, one of the first names on the team sheet going into the start of the season. Um, obviously, he needs to keep that form going. We know that with the strengthening of bringing in Adams and Gineppo, uh, there were a lot of options there. Um, Buffel obviously, is, is sort of come back and is as currently around. Whether that remains the case, I guess time will tell, but he was certainly on the bench and came on against Burnley. You obviously got Oberfemi, yeah. uh battling for one of the deeper positions you've got the Gineppo uh, to come in on what was there yesterday you potentially in some games maybe have Ward Prowse mm-hmm. uh, competing for a place further forward as well Shane uh, Long. Stu, Stu yeah. Armstrong Shane Long yeah. so there's a lot and lot of players in and around those uh, sort of positions so he has to keep his form uh, going definitely but I think he starts the season rightly as one of the first names down and uh, yeah the long contract I think it's good news. I'm like Steve, I think, and I think Saints now, I hope, have learned their lesson and will be very cautious. But I don't suppose there's any real qualms at this stage in putting Redmond on a on a big, long contract because it doesn't look like he's going to be dislodged from the team anytime soon. Um, so I think that that's given the, the situation he was in with his contract. Uh, that's just the kind of calculated risk you have to take with a player like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, just before we talk about Kevin Dancer then, Adam, I thought for listeners new and old, it might be good to get a bit of a sort of perception from you about deadline day working as a journalist. As we know, you're probably the most reliable in terms of in and around the club, knowing what's going on, understanding where Saints are with signings. So deadline day has kind of lost a bit of its, uh, I don't know, the excitement around it all over the years and you know Jim White building it all up into no one signing anyone and all that sort of thing. But as a journalist, do you still find it fun frustrating tiring exhilarating i mean how, how is it for you and we know you were working very late into the evening unpaid of course as you mentioned and you know, kevin danso <laughs> signing the next day and all that sort of thing so it does tend to sort of uh, be quite chaotic doesn't it so what, what's it like from a journalistic point of view yeah i don't it's not a day you look forward to i don't think uh, i don't certainly don't relish deadline day because you know it could be quite long and quite stressful um i kind of Start the day with normally a reasonable idea of sort of roughly where they are and what they might or might not do. Then you're kind of trying to sort of fairly early in the morning sort of go, okay, well, let's try and find out if there are if there's anything afoot. But obviously, whatever is going on in the morning, it, it can develop. And we've seen that the last couple. I mean, Danny Ying's the previous deadline day, summer deadline day. That didn't even begin until mid-afternoon. Mm. Um, and Kevin Danzo, very similar. That didn't even begin until much later in the day, the the talks over that deal. So with Danzo, it, it does kind of make you wonder, and you see some of the deals that were done, what the motivation was for waiting that late. Yeah. Because um, obviously Saints only just got that over the line and, and they, they ne- very, very nearly missed it. There was a lot of tension at St Mary's as to whether they got that done or not. Yeah. And you did think to yourself, I'm not sure that that deal was really one that was desperately hard to negotiate. It wasn't as if we were talking huge money and they were like haggling over a fee for weeks and things like that. 
Um, I don't really know why they couldn't have done that, to be completely honest. I don't know why that had to be left so late, unless I'm missing something out of all of this. It's but, the Southampton way, isn't it? Well, it does feel a little <laughs> bit like that. It does seem a bit like that. And we, we thought we maybe got away from this with Adams and Gineppo coming in so early, but, mm. but maybe not. So anyway, yeah, as the day develops, it's just kind of keeping on top of it all, really. And it, it's a, a bit strange because where the window is now closing before the start of the season... You have this slightly odd situation as well because we were going to the first pre-match press conference as well on the same day, yeah. on deadline day. And it's weird because, you know, I, I was trying to, like, I wanted to ask Ralph about the formations, about tactics, about some of the stuff that's happened over the summer, um, about the game and things like that. But it's almost completely pointless because you just can't use any of it really much because all anybody cares about really, the, the obsession is just that focus on the transfer window. So kind of kills a little bit of that build-up to the start of the season as well, having that on the same day. But then, yeah, so the way the day developed was obviously the Austin thing we knew was was on, on the table yeah. and was, was probably going to go through. We knew that there were a couple of youngsters probably going to go out. The question was whether they would sign anybody. So indications early in the morning were very unlikely and not hopeful because they weren't expecting to sell many, and that was the problem. As the day wore on, the afternoon wore on, it obviously became clear that, that they were in the market for somebody. And then, uh, obviously, then you're just dealing with kind of stuff as it happens. I got word that they'd submitted a deal sheet. And then, obviously, it was Kevin Danzo was the player they'd submitted the deal sheet for. And then it was just went on and on and on and on and on from there, as we all know, because it wasn't until uh, 9.45 the next morning the deal was announced. And it was later that night, about 10, half past 10, that I was able to say with conviction that yes Danzo had signed but there was going to be a delay in announcement because Augsburg wanted to wait for the ink to be dry as it were which is a bit needless but but nonetheless there it was um so yeah and then suddenly it's become a very very long day uh, I did think with a 5 p.m deadline I wouldn't still be working at <laughs> half past 10 11 o'clock at night but as you say, it's the Southampton way. So uh, it's uh yeah, slightly, it was a slightly chaotic finish to it, but the, yeah, they got the deal over the line in the end and, yeah. and they've managed to kind of do a deal um, because they couldn't sell players. Um, they really have struggled, obviously that they've managed to do like they did with Ings and kick the fee down the road a year. Um, they're obviously paying a fairly substantial loan fee for him for a season, but the payment of the, of the uh, whatever the option is obviously won't kick in for uh, another year now mm. so um, from their point of view they've kicked that into another set of accounts which gives them a bit more time to try and flog some players to actually balance the books on that one as a journalist I would say uh, a day like that is still it, there is a buzz obviously there's a buzz especially when you're getting stories and you're breaking stories and stuff but it is pretty tiring, especially ahead of a trip to Burnley. <laughs> so Kevin Denso, as Adam mentioned, the young Austrian centre-back, of course, joined uh, the day after deadline day. A couple of days ago, I caught up with Christel Ganam, an FC Augsburg fan and fellow podcaster, to get some further insight on our new signing. Here's what Christel had to say. Christelle, thank you very much for joining Total Saints Podcast. It's a, a pleasure to have you on. Obviously, Kevin Danso has joined Southampton this week. As an Augsburg fan yourself, Christelle, I wondered if you could tell us a bit about what Kevin's like as a player. Yes, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Um, we were quite uh, as uh, surprised as you were that he, he's leaving us. <laughs> so um, we will miss him very much because he's... Um, 
very much liked here in Augsburg. He's mm -hmm. a he's a fighter. Uh, I would say all of our team are fighters, of course, because we're a small team. Yeah. And he really uh, did very, very well. He played here since, um, well, for years. He, mm -hmm. he, he uh, joined the youth teams and, and did very well there. Yeah. And since some uh, seasons, he, he was in the um, first team. And yeah, we were very happy watching him because he was really a fighter. And uh, I think he's also quite strong for his age. Mm -hmm. Um, still, of course, he, he does make some mistakes because, well, he's young. He doesn't have all the experiences of, of the strong, strong, strong uh, center backs. But still, uh, he tries to fight back whenever he did some mistake. I, I remember one uh, game where he, well, he slipped uh, somehow and we got a, a goal because of that. But then he fight, fought even more and then he marked the 1-1 and there it was. So perfect <laughs> Excellent. as a footballer he obviously looks like a, a very big physical player so what would you say his main strengths are Cristal you know heading the ball or passing the ball or, or tackling you know or a bit of everything well of course he can can do all of it a bit but what's what's always very strong are his headers mm -hmm. he marks uh, goals with it <laughs> so that's good <laughs> and of course as a center back it's always good to uh, win them uh, when others try to attack you so um That's one thing. I, I always was very, very happy with that. And yeah, the rest, I must say, I was al always most uh, happy with his uh, attitude. That's that's the one thing. Yeah. yeah. I know there are some very good strikers in the Bundesliga. You obviously mentioned, as we know, that he's quite young. So how has he fared in terms of his performances generally? Has he has he performed very consistently or have you noticed that he's found it quite hard to maybe adapt to playing against that quality of player? Uh, no, I, I really must admit that Augsburg is not the strongest team in the Bundesliga. So, of course, um, whenever there were some mistakes made, it started somewhere in the midfield and got until the back. So mm -hmm. it wasn't always his fault when we uh, got uh, goals. But, uh, of course, he made some mistakes, too. But on the other hand, he really was uh, often in the, in the starting uh, squad. So... Never the feeling we had to replace him. Yeah, so there was so, trust from the manager absolutely. to keep using him. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and not be, just because he had no others, but he was a good part of the team, which uh, made others confident. And I mean, he's very young, so mm -hmm. that's also something you really have to consider. He's young and still uh, was often got the trust. So obviously, he's only 20, as you mentioned, uh, Christelle. So do you think uh, a move, albeit I know it's only on loan for a year, um, potentially he could come back to Augsburg if Southampton decide not to buy him next summer. Do you think a, a move to Southampton is good for him at this stage of his career, or do you think it's maybe come a little early? Hmm, I really hope that it's a good idea for him to do that, because as I understood, it was rather because he really wanted to go back to play in the UK because mm -hmm. he, he lived there for a very long time. It was always a, a dream for him to uh, join a Premier League club. So, of course, great. Um, and I really hope that he, he can make it there because we would all be very proud of him. Yep. That's all I can say because I didn't have the feeling that he had a very strong wish to leave. It was really very surprising for us that uh, things came like that uh, since yesterday. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I really hope so. And I must say how fast he adapted to the Bundesliga um, level of playing the game. I think he could do it. And 
on the other hand, if he doesn't make it, he's always welcome to come back. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so we wouldn't be so sad if he just doesn't make it. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's fair so enough. Happy. I understand. Um, we already have five centre-backs at Southampton, so Kevin will come in and make it six. So there is some competition for places. Obviously, he's going to need some time. Ralph Hasenhutel is well known for developing young players. So do you think he has the potential to make a success of it in the Premier League in general? Yes, I, I wouldn't wouldn't say he doesn't have it. Uh, he's a he's a funny guy. Uh, I, I think he will make a good friends. Character. Very yes, absolutely. He was one of those you you always saw in the YouTube videos from the the club. We've seen all the gifts over the last twenty four <laughs> hours. There's loads of them. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's other players where we don't have so many. So he's really a, a nice guy who yeah. who likes to have fun and. That's one thing you will have fun with him. That's mm. that's for sure. And I really hope you will have fun with his skills too. Yeah, <laughs> so. fair enough. So lovely. And uh, final question then. Of course, he's going to be working with a fellow Austrian in uh, Ralph Hasenhutel, as I mentioned, who's the manager. So Ralph, not only being Austrian and understanding Kevin's culture, but also, of course, Ralph has managed in the Bundesliga. So he will know the type of um, abilities that players have. So again, from a, a point of view of a Southampton fan, something that we should be quite excited about because hopefully Hasenhutel can understand and connect with him very quickly. That's true. That's true. And he all, I mean, Kevin also plays in the uh, national squad of, of Austria. So that's also something where Hasenhüttl will know him very well from. Yeah. So I think that's a, a very good match already. So um, we'll help them to connect and really find out how they can uh get the most of it yeah lovely all right well just finally then Christelle um, I know we were talking before the interview started about you and you uh, are on a couple of podcasts we have um, listeners all around the world including out in Germany there's quite a big following in Leipzig obviously because Ralph came so I'm more than happy if you want to pronounce these in German and I will obviously plug them on the uh, social media channels but do you want to just tell us a bit about where we can find your podcast if anyone particularly in Germany would want to listen to them Yes, well, I have two podcasts. Uh, one of them is about the FC Augsburg. It's called Auf die Zirbelnuss. And yeah, it mostly deals with FC Augsburg and what the, the club is doing. And my other podcast is uh, Früff, Frauen reden über Fußball, uh, where it's just about, uh, yeah, not FC Augsburg, but well, football in general. And the, the thing about this podcast is it's uh, from a female perspective. Uh, we're a team of uh, many women yeah. who love football and live football and we discuss football there. <laughs> That's Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Well, no, absolutely. Well, keep up the good work. It's fantastic to have women talking about football just as much as men. So it's great to hear that. And uh, look, thank you very much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks again to Christelle and good luck to FC Augsburg for this season, although I did see that they started their season with a uh, loss in the uh, Pockel uh, Cup yesterday. Um, Steve, look, some very positive and encouraging thoughts there from Crystal, talking about uh, Kevin's heading, his attitude, his general character and the commitment he's going to sort of provide to Saints. So a position I think we all felt we needed to strengthen, as we mentioned, over the season and uh, even more so after the Burnley game. So I think we're hoping that he's going to be able to come in and offer something we desperately need. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of attributes that we've been sorely lacking uh, namely pace, power, um, and well, yeah, generally being able to defend <laughs> would, be a, would be a massive upgrade on what we have at the moment. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if he is as good as we hope he is, then yeah, great. Um, obviously everyone's got to bear in mind that despite the fact that he's got reasonable amount of experience, um, he is still only 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, coming into a new league where, Things are going to be a little bit different. You're, you're up against different types of opposition compared to what what he would have experienced in the Bundesliga. Yeah. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily expect him to be starting against Liverpool on uh, on Saturday. Let's put it that way. But 
with a bit of luck, hopefully he'll be integrated sort of in a timely manner and mm. um and he's then a sort of centerpiece of our newly improved defence. Yeah. Where we hopefully only have to rely on two centre halves rather than three. Yeah. And uh, look, Christelle was sort of saying that her understanding was that Kevin was quite keen to come back to England. Of course he grew up in England and was with Milton Keynes Donnans as a youth player, so I think the opportunity for him to come back and play in England really appealed. But also, as we discussed, you know, he's Austrian nationality, so in terms of Ralph being Austrian he'll understand his culture and hopefully they'll be able to connect quite quickly as I asked her. Yeah, obviously communication isn't going to be a problem in the slightest, is it? Because presumably he's fluent in both English and German. So, yeah, yeah, the the communication factor, which you often slightly worry yourself about when you're signing players from abroad, Mm. that's not going to be that's not going to be a problem in the slightest for us. So that's that's one huge positive. Um, So, yeah, hopefully he slots in quickly. I mean, what this now means for the likes of Wesley Hoot, for example, and, I mean, even maybe Yoshida and or Stevens in yep. terms of their status at the club. I mean, obviously, bearing in mind that the European transfer windows are still very much open. The 2nd of September, I think that's just, um, doesn't it? Yep. Yes, I think so. Yeah. So it's so there's still plenty of time for us to um, move players on if we get the opportunity. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm sure Adam will be able to confirm. I would be very surprised if we're not actively looking to get players off the payroll even if it's just a loan until January and we can yeah. kind of reevaluate then yeah yeah no indeed all right well we ran a poll uh, on our social media channel on uh, Twitter just to ask fans what their general feelings were about the the transfer window now that it's slammed in true deadline day style shut uh, of course this was before the Burnley game so uh, it'd be interesting to sort of uh, know what people think now so the question was uh, just around you know were you happy or satisfied disappointed frustrated unsure at this stage or didn't really care so 75% of fans, Adam, felt that they were happy, satisfied with the uh, transfer window for Saints. 3% disappointed, frustrated. 18% felt that they were unsure at this stage and 4% didn't really care. Of course, we're reflecting on this now after the Burnley game, which I think probably blinkers it slightly. But all in all, Adam, in terms of ins and outs, and as Steve mentioned, we've still got the chance to get rid of the likes of Lamina, Carrillo, people like that, because the European window shuts on the 2nd of September. How would you, to sort of summarise, rate the overall transfer window for Saints? I think it's difficult to judge right now. Uh, I think it'll be easier to make a judgment once that European window has shut, because if you ask me right now, I would say what is the overall mark out of 10 is, is difficult to come to, because if you go on to signings, yep. yes, we haven't seen Adams, Gineppo and Danzo in action. So we don't really know how good those signings are or aren't yet. But on paper, let's just say they're positions that Ralph... Uh, needed strengthening and Saints have bought in players that look like they fit the bill of what he wants so in that respect you probably say that's probably about an eight um, Mm -hmm. in terms of of, of getting what he wants whether the signings are the correct ones or not you find out in the fullness of time but you know the club can only provide the manager with what the manager wants and then everything else will happen from there the other side of the window though at least as important in my view arguably even more important because it's it's uh, surrounds the long-term financial health of the club is what they got out and you know you are struggling to give any marks out of 10 for that i mean you could give you know you've got a few maybe maybe we could give three out of 10 i don't know they got rid of the thing in a shirt so that's one thing austin's gone classy's gone permanently and then you've loaned out a couple of youngsters well youngsters they're not youngsters at all are they but um, a couple of players that aren't going to play that are fairly young and, and have some market for for being loaned out. So, 
that's not naught out of 10, I suppose, but it's not, you know, ultimately the players that are causing you, mainly the players that are causing you a big issue because they've got long contracts. Nobody wants them. They're on huge wages are all still there. Mm. And, and that is a substantial problem for Southampton Football Club. That is a huge problem. Now, at the moment, that is the biggest problem that football club has. Forget who's playing at centre-half or, or anything like that or where the shirts are and things like that. The, the point is that they are not going to get over this quickly. And, and all these problems that we feed into about you know, the wrong player for this position, the wrong player for that position, ultimately because they don't have the finances to do what they want because they've got all, these, all this dead wood around still which we've talked about and that is the key so I think it's hard though to come to a firm conclusion until we get to the end of the foreign transfer window obviously we would have loved to have had some of those players uh, moved on already because that would have potentially freed up more funds for more signings uh, before the English window closed sorry but uh, ultimately if there are European clubs interested in those players they know Saints are in a weak negotiating position that Saints are desperate yep. um, to get rid of them. And so you would wait until after the close of the English window and you would let them sweat on it until the very end of the European window. And then you'd see if you could get a, get a bargain just to uh, knock down fee for whoever you're interested in to try and get them off the wage bill. And Saints are going to have potentially some tough decisions to make because they might well get, I suspect, a few very low ball offers for some of these players. And they're going to have to decide whether it's worth now just cutting their losses and accepting huge, huge financial loss on some of these players just to finally get rid of them. Yeah. Or do they hold on to them, try and loan them out again and kind of take this risk that if you kick the can down the road another year, they might go and do something amazing at the club they've been loaned to, and then you've created a market for them all of a sudden, things like that. So those are going to be difficult decisions. And also, if you get those wrong and you play a bit more hardball, and then those guys have to come back, and you've now got Carrillo, Lamina, etc., knocking around the squad till at least January, what does that mean? So... Yeah, there could be some difficult decisions to take. But yeah, to, to sort of answer your question, to get an exact summary of the window, I think is going to be quite hard until we've seen the next two or three weeks and how they play out. Now, earlier last week, we were very proud and humbled to hear one of our listeners, Jackie Martin, promoting the podcast as her listen on the Look, Listen and Learn feature of Sam Fraser's Radio Solent Show, which runs from 4pm to 7pm every weekday. If you didn't hear it, then don't worry. Thanks to Jackie, we did. And here it is, courtesy of Sam, who's given us permission to include it in this week's pod. BBC Radio Solent, that's the Kaiser Chiefs and Ruby at 24 minutes to 7. Uh, I'm joined in my listener recommendation hour, Look, Listen, Learn, by Jackie Martin, director of Sarans. It's all things chocolate. Uh, all things chocolate. I, absolutely. I don't know how you work and you look so slim and gorgeous. You can't possibly be eating the products. Absolutely am. <laughs> Everybody it's at Sarans <laughs> eats the products, but you just have to exercise. It's the answer, yeah. Well, we'll come to exercise in a minute because I know that your learn uh, features a walk that you do. Yes. Um, but let's talk about your recommendation for what to listen to. You're a big Saints fan. Absolutely. How long have you been supporting Saints? Well, I think I was 
taken to my first game when I was 13, and I think it was losing at home to Man United. Oh, dear. Um, and I went with my father. But in those days, I used to go and watch Bournemouth as well. OK, so a bit promiscuous on the football front. <laughs> I mean, nowadays that just wouldn't happen. But in those days, it was so cheap to get into football that you used to go to, to every match you could. And just trying to get hold of tickets now that Bournemouth are doing so well yes. is real tricky. Exactly. So I used to go and watch both, but it used to cost 50 pence to get in then. Oh, shut the door. <laughs> but uh, So let's talk about your listening recommendation because it's all around Saints. Absolutely. Yes, well... I'm an avid supporter and my husband goes along because he says he has to go with me. Okay. So he gets fed up with me talking about Saints. So a good way to get it off your system is to listen to the Total Saints podcast. Is that easy to find? I'm just having a quick yes, Google you can, here. Yes, you, you can get it on, on Spotify or, or lots of the other platforms. But uh, Well, actually, I'm just looking at saintsworld.co.uk There's and there quite a few Total podcasts. Saints podcast. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, it's done by the chief uh, Saints reporter at The Echo, Adam Leach, and also Ben Stansfield, who runs it. I think he lives up in Scotland, but he's still an avid supporter. Uh, they always have guests on there, um, and sometimes ex-players and that there, but it gets it out of your system. So it goes on the morning commute on the Monday morning, so you commiserate over the last-minute goal that's been let in. Um, <laughs> or you sit there and just reminisce over that last-minute win. So uh, it gets it out of the system, and then my husband doesn't have to put up with me talking about things quite as much. I love that. That's a great strategy. What yeah. a, a strategy for a happy marriage. Is exactly. The Saints, or Total Saints podcast. So that's Total Saints podcast. And I just have to tell you, as an aside to this, last week I was filming um, a trailer for this show. Yeah. And they took me to some really swanky performance vehicles. And I sat in the Aston Martin DBL that had belonged to Maya Yoshida. Wow. So I hope you're suitably jealous. Jackie, thanks so much for your kind and passionate words and good luck with your new chocolate catalogue. Should you wish to find out a bit more about Jackie and her chocolate business, you can find her at Saint one on Twitter. Saints start their home campaign with a tough game against Liverpool next weekend and of course the German Hasenhutl. Steve, I can't be asked to waste too much energy on them but uh, not much summer business done at Anfield so do you expect them to push City as close again this season? Um, Probably not. I mean, at the end of the day, the team that got them so close to the title and obviously won the Champions League is still a pretty formidable outfit. Mm. They're going to be there or thereabouts, but City have strengthened in in key areas. So I think that City will pull away rather than Liverpool falling back. I think Liverpool will still be pretty much as strong as they were last season, barring injuries, although obviously they've they've started picking up a couple of niggles already with... um, Looks like Allison will be out for a few weeks at least, yeah. um, which kind of bodes well for us next week, perhaps. <laughs> um, but they're still good, aren't they? Mm. Um, and it's—I don't think that's going to—that's going to disappear anytime soon, unfortunately. Right, that's enough chat about Liverpool, then, Adam. Um, after the Burnley result, how do you expect Ralph and Saints to sort of approach this and positively and try and sort of take the game to them a bit like we did last year and sort of think that we've got nothing to lose, or do you think they're going to come out nervous and cautious and try and, uh, in Mark Hughes' terms, uh, you know, look at damage limitation? I suspect 
that there's going to be a little bit of trepidation mm. just because of what happened at Burnley. So I would think that in terms of the, the pattern of the game, probably the first 15, 20 minutes are going to be quite important. Yeah. Because if Saints find themselves pinned back, and certainly if they concede in the first 20 minutes, it's a very long road for the next 70 minutes from there, I, I think, for them mentally. If they can kind of come out and they can sort of get on the front foot, as it were, and get on the front foot against Liverpool is not necessarily tearing them apart, but it's certainly competing them, causing them one or two problems. You can see, you feel that your, your game plan is sort of got a chance of working. Then, you know, they have an, of course, they have an opportunity. Liverpool aren't going to play like Burnley, obviously. Mm. Their style is going to suit Saints and Saints' style a lot more. The problem that you've got against Liverpool is obviously that Liverpool don't mind playing toe-to-toe with a team like Saints because Liverpool will back themselves that probably 19 times out of 20, they go up against a team like that and they will beat them because they've got extra quality still. Even if Saints scored a goal or two, Liverpool would still think, that's okay, we'll still outscore you. Mm. so that's that's the difficulty Saints have got. But I think from everybody's point of view, let's be honest, who realistically is going into St. Mary's next week expecting a Saints win? Not really any Saints fans, I don't suppose, or, no. or certainly very, very few. So then you go, OK, if you're thinking you're not going to get a win out of it, what do you want? Well, you want a confidence booster because if you thought you probably weren't going to beat Burnley on the opening day, what you wanted was a confidence booster. And Saints have got the opposite of that. Mm. And that's why there's this kind of, Already this sort of slight, oh my goodness, trepidation feeling, even though it's only one game. Um, so you don't want that after next week. Even if you lose again, you want there to at least be a feeling of, well, that was a heck of a lot better, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, Liverpool are great and their extra quality told, OK, they're going to win almost every game they play probably this season. So no, no shame there. But at least we proved we've got a bit more about us than we showed at Burnley. So I think that's what I would like to see out of them. Obviously, it's not impossible they could get something if everything went well for them, but you are relying on you having a great day, an almost perfect day, and Liverpool having a bad day for that to occur. And, you know, the, the big teams, the Man Cities and Liverpools, especially they are going to challenge for, for the title, don't have many bad days. And they're very, very motivated at the beginning of the season because obviously they can't let things slip early doors because that, you know, as we saw last year, that's... Nice perfect. Stephen Gerrard reference there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's the thing for Saints. Uh, we want to be recording this pod next week, talking about um, a more positive performance and therefore being able to look ahead to that Brighton away game and going, OK, look, the things looked a lot better. Everybody's a lot more upbeat. They gave Liverpool a really good game. Whatever the result was, was whatever the result was. Mm. And now, come on, Brighton, this is the match to go and get this first win. Uh, yeah. You don't want to be thinking, coming away from Liverpool, having you know, taking a three or four goal beating and, and thinking, oh, goodness, now Brighton look on good form early on. And then we've got Man United and suddenly people beginning to whisper, Could we, are we going to go into the international break with no points? Uh, and, you know, that you just don't want that. So we need some optimism after next week, I think. Indeed. Just briefly, Steve, it's a good stat for you. I, I don't know if you heard this, but Graham Potter, obviously Adam talking about Brighton there, so he's, he's won one game as a Premier League manager. He only ever won one Premier League game as a footballer. Can you tell us what that was? Oh God! Uh, Very famous did, well, did he, win. Did he play? Did he play in the six-three oh, game? Oh, you've nailed it. United. There you go. You see, six-three in the uh, famous Manchester United game. So well done. Yep, good. Um, so look, I mean, back to the Liverpool game. Um, 
I know they were 4-0 up, but Norwich sort of showed that last half hour against Liverpool that they aren't necessarily at the best at the back sometimes. Um, they have lost Alisson, as you mentioned. They've got a long trip to Istanbul this week for the uh, Super Cup against Chelsea. So, look, I know I said in the last pod that maybe getting these teams at the start of the season is a, is a good thing. You get them before they're running. I know that looks and sounds even more ludicrous after the Burnley performance and the fact Liverpool won 4-1, but... You know, let's try and be constructive. Saints have got to go out there and give them a good game and get in their faces and do everything that they didn't do at Burnley. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I would say go out and replicate the performance against them at the back end of last season, mm. um, where I thought we were we were really unlucky not to get a result out of that game. Performance was pretty much spot on, and we just got done by um, done by a counter attack at the end, where we well got done by, done from our own corner, didn't we? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, watching that game on Friday night. Norwich created a lot of chances. Even in the first half, they opened them up. There was a lot of space in behind behind both fullbacks. Um, and obviously Liverpool use Alexander-Arnold and Robertson predominantly in an, in an attacking sense, which means that they're going to leave space in behind. And I think that may suit us quite nicely. Yeah. Um, as I say, Norwich created a lot of chances. And what Norwich will be disappointed about, obviously losing 4-1 is not great. But what they'll be most disappointed about was that Liverpool didn't really have to do an awful lot to score those four goals in the first half. They're really poor goals defensively. So if we can, I mean, obviously I'll say this, having seen what we splurted out at the back yesterday, but if we can tighten up a little bit, not give them freebies, at the end of the day, if they're world-class players tear through us and and stick one in the top corner and from a free-flowing move, then fair play. Um, not an awful lot you can do about it. Yeah. But if they score goals from free headers from a corner, as Van Dyke did on Friday night, yeah. then I think we'll kind of look at that and think, well, we've got to be cutting these out. You cannot give good teams easy goals. Um, and I think that's that's surely going to be where we're going to be concentrating on all week at Staplewood. Yeah. Just before we do our predictions then, Steve, four words, four at the back, five at the back. What do you do against Liverpool? Five for me. Um, just because, again, I don't think we have enough trust in our centre-backs to go with only two of them. I think that leaves too much space. They're not given enough protection by the guys in front at the moment. Yeah, fair enough. OK, right, let's do our predictions then. Um, I got uh, Lucy's before she uh, jetted off uh, to sunnier climbs. Um, she's uh, gone for a very uh, hard-fought and proud 3-1 defeat for Saints. Um, I'm returning to form and uh, going to go for a 3-0 Liverpool win. Steve, you went first last week, so Adam, you're first up, if that makes sense. Well, I don't know whether to go for what I think is going to happen here or whether to be tactical because everybody's going to go for a Liverpool. So maybe I should go for something. I know because then you'll all get one point and then I'll. (laughs) Okay, I will go. Overthinking this. Yeah, totally overthinking (laughs) this, which is my exact opposite approach to my FPL team. Yeah. uh, Where I have massively underthought it. Yesterday, actually, we were in the press room. Yeah. And the um before the Burnley game and the Man City game was on and obviously that Aguero penalty Mm -hmm. and I was like oh no he's missed oh this is terrible and then he scored and I was like yes that's points for my team and now I don't think I've got Aguero in my team (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember but I've just suddenly thought I don't think he is I think I went for somebody else I had the same thought on Friday night when Alisson got injured I thought crap I've got Alisson in my team and then when I looked at it it it's like no I haven't I've got Edison (laughs) I don't really know what's happened to the FPL app because I'm looking at it on my phone and for some reason it only seems to show you the top 44 as we've got in our league now so I can't even see where you are or where I am so yeah so I'll have to look into that I always always just go through the website yeah that'll be easier but but, uh, there we go so I'm not sure we got your prediction at the end of that Adam did we yeah sorry 2-0 Liverpool (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> cool. All right, then, Steve. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a full house, but go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I can't justify anything other than a, a Liverpool win, but I, I do think we'll score. Right. Um. So I think. Go for a bold prediction of 4-2 Liverpool. <laughs> oh, I love Steve's prediction. I've missed this so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, you, you love my predictions, and yet who won the prediction league last year? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a fair point. Fighting yeah. words, fighting words. Yeah, it's true. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Particular thanks again to Cristal for speaking with us. Don't forget to follow our social media channels if you aren't already. Twitter, Facebook, etc. Just search for Total Saints Pod. We'll be back next week, post-Liverpool, pre-Brighton. I literally can't wait. Until then, have a good week and try to keep marching in. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be fine. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.